The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guys, up! <laughs> Giddy up, y'all. Oh boy, this is gonna be an embarrassing show. Welcome to Failure to Stop Night Shift. This is the Failure to Stop podcast channel, and you're tuning in to Night Shift, the True Crime Tuesday show tonight. Show's brought to you by ghostbed.com um, forward slash Wolfpack. You'll hear that ad read later. If you haven't noticed, if you're watching live, I'm sitting in my son's studio right now because my son's show, Gromit Vomit Podcast, had a very famous person on and the guy could only come on at seven and they just kept going and going and so i didn't have time to switch the studio so here i am but uh if you want to support the show go leave us a five-star rating and review so we can read it on uh friday we do four shows a week on this uh channel we do the true crime tuesdays uh, which is all the mayhem and murder with the beautiful and audacious andrea up late every thursday coming out on audio is last call with myself and sometimes dead like media um and we're giving you all the other things to talk about all the other news uh besides the job so that you don't sound like an asshole cop to your civilian friends on the weekend we give you something else to talk about other than dead babies and domestic violence Friday's our flagship show with myself and Drew Breezy. And Thursday night's the new show, Com Center, with Drew Breezy and Jonathan Bates. And that is uh, it's a show they're working on. They're working out the kinks of it. It's a very difficult show, um, especially when they don't have their own producer. So uh, be, with, be with them as they work through the kinks. The show is going to be a bomb-ass show once they get it going and off the ground. It's just uh, the first couple of weeks have been some sure. t- technical difficulties, just like when Andrea started. We all know how that turned out. Absolute train wreck, um, uh, but, but such is such is the life. Um, is there any true crime so news updates? Oh, wait, before you get started on the true crime updates, Friday show. Uh, you're not going to – last Friday show, one of the best shows we've ever done. Um, that's two Fridays in a row that we've heard that, uh, the two best Fridays. And last night shift was the best night shift. We're on a fucking roll in 2023. Now that all the uh, technical issues are out of the way, we're on a roll, baby. Um – but this Friday, super important show, and I think it's important for every law enforcement officer, first responder. It's it's the one thing that needs to be said. It's not said enough, and and I'm going to break it down to you on Friday, and it'll be very almost rant heavy, and there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from shit that's happened in the news lately. So get ready for that. Uh, but enough of that. It's time for True Crime Tuesday. We don't want to hear about any of this other shit. We want to hear all the murder and the mayhem, the guts and the gore, any true crime news updates. And what is the show about tonight? I don't even, I don't even know what tonight's show is about. I know. We Can you guys hear me okay? We didn't do much of yes, a... Yes, I can hear you fine. I'm going to okay. mute my uh, mic for just a second while somebody fixes the camera, but you just go on with that fucking true crime news. There. Okay. Uh, hey, hey, uh, hey there, sugar lips. Go ahead and give us the true crime news, won't you? I'm on it. All right, guys. So we're still talking about um, Brian Kohlberger, who was the, who's the suspect, the guy who's been arrested um, in connection with the Idaho murders of the four college students in Moscow, Idaho, back on November 13th, I believe. 
So we're starting to learn more and more about his background. And that's what I said that I've been wanting to hear. What do friends and relatives or um, peers at school say about him? But even better, I think we have his own words. And so we found um, a forum, some online forum. He was kind of present on a few of them over the years. And back in 2011, he was particularly um, involved in this one. And so it's pretty interesting. You can see very clearly um, some, well, what looks like schizoid or some sort of um, psychopathy going on here with him, probably starting around the time he was around 18, which makes sense. We've talked about that before with an age, with a timeline on this. Um, on a side note, I think Eric is taking selfies, but it's, it's fine. It's all fine. Um, (laughs) I'm having so much fun. If you guys, if you're not following our YouTube channel, I'm sorry to interrupt. If you're not following our YouTube channel, we do do a live watch along. I look like an absolute idiot right now. I'm sitting in my son's studio. It's a picture I have to paint. I'm sitting in my kid's studio. And um, for his show, Grommet Vomit, and there's like this skateboarding Vans poster with this dude like alling on top of my head right now. Like it's all skate eccentric and there's like a news platform desk. And I just, I don't look true crime right now at all. I look stupid, but I like it. Whatever. Who cares? I like it. I actually do like it. So, so we are already into 2023, if you can believe it, but this forum that Brian Kohlberger uh was commenting on started in around 2011 so we're looking at you know about 12 years ago he's currently 28 i believe so you'd be looking at around what 16 17 18 that he really starts to have um these thoughts and that he posts these words about himself so i will read um we know that he posted in an online forum that he had crazy thoughts and delusions of grandeur so it's interesting that at that age he was already, he was diagnosing that symptom with, with the actual term, the, the medical term for it, delusions of grandeur, right? So that's where someone can feel um, big in any kind of way. So that can lead to um, like manic spending because they think that they have the money to buy all of these things. It can lead to um, just an importance of self that's not really accurate. It can lead to all sorts of different things depending on the person and what their diagnosis is. So he had self-described delusions of grandeur. So in January of 2011, he wrote, I have had VS. So VS is a term, is an acronym for the term visual snow. Um, it's, it's a brain thing. We'll talk about it. Um, he says, I have had VS since September 21st of 2009. Since then, I have changed mainly from the anxiety and sense of derealization and hopelessness. Again, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking about the suspect that was arrested in connection with the Idaho College murders in November. These are some words he wrote um, back in 2011. He also said in April of 2011, uh, in a thread where someone else was talking about VS, he wrote, I have become very deep. Oh, excuse me. I have become deep and determined on goals. It makes me smarter. So then he started liking the idea that he thinks he has this condition. Now, instead of it bringing anxiety and hopelessness, he feels like he it's actually honing genius in him, some intellect. He then in May went on to say that he has depression, no interest in activity, constant thoughts of suicide, crazy thoughts, delusions of grandeur, anxiety, 
poor self-image, poor social skills. And then he put in all capitalization, no emotion. He ended with, uh, when I get home, I am mean to my family. I say and do what I want with little remorse. And then in July, I'll read one last little thing. I took a picture of this, uh, to read to you guys, but you can see a trend. You can see or hear a trend of his mental well-being not, you know, not doing so well 10 years ago. Um, so it says, was that your, okay. Uh-huh. So it says, uh, no, no, never mind. Ignore me. It says in a July 11th post, he allegedly wrote, I have had this horrible depersonalization go on in my life for almost two years. I often find myself making simple human interactions, but it's as if I am playing a role, a role playing game. As I hug my family, I look into their faces. I see nothing. It's like I'm looking into a video game, but less. I am blank. I have no opinion. I have no emotion. I have nothing. Finally, he said, I have just accepted my visual snow. Finally, I don't even feel the need to stay away from the forum. It doesn't scare me anymore. Anyone else come to terms? Question mark. I feel like, I feel like coming to terms could be a bad thing though. So it's like, he's giving in to this thing that he says he has quickly. A definition of visual snow is that um, it's also known as visual static. It's a very uncommon neurological condition in which the affected individuals see white or black dots or transparent dots in part of the whole of their visual field. So think um, starburst sometimes, or actually what, um, if you're of a certain age, <laughs> like I am, you're going to remember what static looks like on TV, right? Just the black and white fuzz. That can be one of the symptoms. Um, maybe transparent dots. The condition is typically always present and can last for years. Migraine is common with this. Um, anyway, it's interesting. We're seeing that maybe he wasn't mentally healthy for a long time. Judge has delayed Coburger's preliminary hearing until June at the defense's at the defense request. Of course, um, like they're going to delay it. They, I mean, that's just what that's par for course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I mean, just to update that because it had been set for a little bit earlier on. Also, um, they halted the clean immediately. So the day that they apprehended him, the day that uh, they went to Pennsylvania and arrested Kohlberger, that was the same day that remediation of the rental property where the murder took place was set to happen. So remediation, like the cleaning, the scouring after this horrible event, right? So they, um, they halted the clean of that immediately upon getting him in custody, thankfully. Uh, GG's my guy just donated 50 bones says the voices told me to well let those voices keep singing in your ears that's the Holy Spirit telling you to just keep sending money to uh, to night shift um, so that we can get better equipment for uh, uh, Drew Breezy and Jonathan <laughs> uh, what's tonight's story about what's the mayhem and murder tonight, tonight? yeah tonight I'm actually the more, um, so Jonathan Bates, our, um, you can find him at difficult to look at pictures. He's actually, um, he's the illustrator of Eric's book, Pig Latin. And he's also now a co-host on failure to stop on the Thursday show comm center with Drew Breezy. Jonathan sent me this, um, idea for a case tonight. So we're going to go with this. It's the, um, Bill and Peggy Stevenson case. It's out of Kentucky from 2011. So this is, um, it's, it's not that it's not widely known, 
it's on some podcasts. It was on Unsolved Mysteries. Like it has gained some national attention. I think that there's been a little bit of an update in the past year. It's an unsolved case. Um, like I said, from 2011. And so I think that if they could, I think the best thing at this point, other than obviously an arrest in the case or a break in the case would be just some like national news attention um, because it's pretty interesting. It's terrible. Uh, but like I said, it's been over a decade uh, with not a lot of movement. Although while not as uh, I don't know, eerie as the Delphi case, there are some strange components and I do believe fully that this is one of the cases that we talk about every single week that, uh, that we don't know half, we don't even know 89% of what authorities know here. And I think that they've kept a lot of things close, um, close at hand as they should. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about it and see what you guys think. It's, it's kind of interesting. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm let's excited to it. hear it. Brittany Faulkner's dropping uh, five bones on us tonight. Thank you so much. Chris Dreyer sending us $10. I appreciate it. Let's take it back to May 2011 in Kentucky, the end of May, May 29th. Okay, so it's starting to get pretty warm outside. Um, uh, in fact, it's Memorial Day weekend this weekend. So we're talking about Bill and Peggy Stevenson. Now, in this town, so this is Florence, Kentucky. It's Boone County, Kentucky. Um this couple is both they are both 74 years old they're approaching their 55th wedding anniversary and just like this the sweetest pillars of their community like i know it's it's joked about jonathan mentioned it earlier you know no one who's lame or boring or terrible ever dies it's always like the kindest sweetest people who put light in a room but that's literally it's the only thing you hear about these people um they live there for a very long time uh they have three grown children at least I know of three, a daughter and two sons. The daughter is pretty vocal. She's been on multiple podcasts. She will she will do interviews. She's retired now and has a bit more time to do these kinds of things. Her brothers are a little um, less interested in rehashing it. It's a bit more difficult for them to talk about it, uh, so they just kind of don't. Um, so she and then Detective Coy Cox, C-O-Y, uh, Detective Coy Cox, who's been with the uh, – the police department or the police department there in Florence, Kentucky for, I think over 19 years. Uh, mm. he, he's been working this case. He's also been a bit more vocal, not in a way to sabotage the case or to, uh, harm anything. He's traveled. We'll talk about it a little bit more. He's done so much, so much for this case. Um, so between Coy Cox, the detective and the daughter, uh, there's a lot of firsthand information given, uh, and it's pretty interesting. So, so Bill Stevenson, um, the husband, Bill was, um, oh my goodness, everything, right? So he was a deacon in his church. He went fishing weekly with his brother. He had a lunch meet every week with a different friend. I mean, the detectives have said that they haven't met another individual, much less at 74, who has so many different groups of friends that he hangs out with almost every day of the week. His This dude's calendar is always full. Peggy was also regarded as incredibly, um, incredibly uh, just kind and giving and loving. She had some health stuff going on. Uh, so she just kind of, she didn't get out of the house quite as often, but she was also, um, like I said, just wonderful things to say. But I think she might not have been quite the social, you know, butterfly that, that old Bill was. So 
Okay. Well, so Peggy played organ at their church. Bill, where they lived, there was um, a trucking route that went through. We talk about it every week. There was a trucking route that went through, and Bill set up what was called the Trucker's Chapel. So it was a church. It was like an extension of their church. Uh, not a lot to be seen. I think it was like an aluminum trailer, but it was a place where he would go and open it up, and these truckers that are coming through on their halls could stop and have a service if they want. They can be a part of a church service, which is pretty cool. So a lot of them got to know Bill and Peggy very well from this. Um, breaker, breaker, this is went, Super Angel 6-9. Come in there, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, this is uh, Glorified Angel. I Sorry, think your I CB would catch fire. Yeah, so Bill had opened the... Uh, the trucker's chapel. And this had been pretty well established. It's been going on for a while. So just to set the scene a little bit for what their lives look like around this town in Florence, Kentucky. So one day, uh, it's like I said, it's the, uh, it's Memorial day weekend in May of 2011. And Bill has gone or Bill and Peggy, excuse me, would have been known to go to church. It's a Sunday morning on the 29th. So, the Friday before, the, their daughter had seen them because her daughter, their granddaughter, had graduated uh, high school. Then Saturday, their daughter spoke with Bill on the phone and uh, didn't speak with mom. <clears throat> and then Sunday, when they didn't show up to church, them not showing up to church was enough to cause concern, if that lays the picture a little bit better for you. So they called them. They didn't answer. Um, so then... Bill and Peggy's daughter was kind of running around town running errands with her daughter to get graduation party supplies for the graduation party that they were holding the following weekend. And so she just called her husband and said, you know, hey, would you go check on the house, check on mom and dad? Uh, you know, they're not answering, whatever. And they, I don't think they were too concerned. Maybe they were outside, whatever, but they, they didn't like that they weren't in church. So he does. He was almost home. He went back. Uh, so Bill and Peggy lived in a condo in a residential uh, little area. Like if you picture uh, when you can drive in some of those and you have like condos and duplexes and things like that, it sounds like a nice, neat little community. They lived in a condo toward the very back of that residential community and where they were, but it up to um, like some businesses and things like that. So there wasn't a lot of traffic going through there unless you lived there. Um, but keep in mind the fact that it is in the back of this residential community. Okay. Um, that's kind of important. So they also had a buzz in system. So you would have to buzz to be let into the little area where their condo was kind of to walk in and then to go into the individual homes. Okay. Um, so the son-in-law gets there and, uh, he stumbles upon a, a horrific scene. Um, he sees that, that Bill and Peggy have been murdered. We'll talk about that. He calls his wife to say, um, you know, you need to get over here now. He calls, well, he calls authorities first and then he calls his wife and his wife gets there. By the time she gets there, they've already been, uh, they've already put the tape up, cordoned off the area and start to make moves to, um, with the investigation. So Bill and Peggy have been bludgeoned. Uh, I mean, beyond recognition, there were also some stab wounds, 
We'll talk about what that was like later. Um, trucker? Most, well, that's a good question. We'll talk about who it could be, right? They had been uh, posed. Now, a lot of, like I said, when I equated this to, it's it's nothing like Delphi in so many ways, but there are a few things that, you know, you can think of when we talked about exactly how, you know, with the years that have gone by and what we do and what we don't, what we do and don't know about the um, particulars of the case. Again, we shouldn't know him, but um, um, I just, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's terrible. I know we're not engaged in the chats and I hate this. Tanner said, swim with stingrays. You'll get stung. RIP Steve Irwin. We don't get Steve Irwin out your mouth. All right. We don't mess around with Steve. Now we do not know uh, how they were posed, but they, it was without a question that they were posed. They were in two separate rooms. We do know that this was only a one bedroom condo. I mean, they didn't need more than that. That's also something that we'll point out here in a little while, why that might be a little important. But um, so they were in two different rooms and posed. Now here's where it gets super strange. Authorities say that every room in the house had been messed with. Whoever did this, they've not ruled out that it could be more than one. Whomever or whoever did this uh, went to every single room and was there for hours. Not F-O-U-R four, but for hours. We don't know for how long. Um, but they say at least four, actually. Um in every single room, something had been manipulated. So that could mean that like a figurine uh, was not now on this shelf. It was sitting on this table. Uh, this thing has been turned upside down. This item was in this one room. To come up with that. Because you would have to have somebody in there that knew what those rooms look like. To right. know that should. So and now they could have think about this. So what I've. What I've gathered is that they knew things just looked odd. Like they could tell by looking that things had been displaced, right? They said that even like pictures were moved. Um, yet, I'm sorry, John and John Center said family member was first on the scene. That's right. That's what I was just saying. So the son-in-law was the first yeah. one to get there to basically do a welfare check because they had not gone to right. church, right? So he walked in and then he calls his wife. So he would have right off the rip known that things were weird probably told them as much. And then once his shock wore off, and then I'm sure they went into a bit further detail with family members that would know, but they, they even mentioned that like, um, like I said, things would be moved from one room to the next. Like maybe this had, this little thing had never lived in the living room. It was in the bedroom. Now it's in the living room. Things turn upside down on their side. Some things were marked upon like with a writing utensil. Um, didn't say what it said. Just some things were marked upon. And then pictures were arranged or displayed in a way that uh, you could almost think that some family members were liked better than others. Like, <laughs> what I'm telling you is the most detail they've given. So they didn't say, did they scratch out someone's face? Did they bend it in half? You know what I mean? Like they didn't say w what they mean by that, but that even like to that kind of detail. And the and authorities have said from minute one that uh, they – they don't for a moment doubt that this is it, this is what it was intended to do. Like they were supposed to know that this was a scene made for them. We know that they were bludgeoned and stabbed. We don't know with what. I mean, obviously you're going to be stabbed with a knife or something like that. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, we've never been told or they've never disclosed what they think the object was. Um, so that's that's one of the things we don't know. 
We know that the crime scene occurred or the crime occurred between one and four o'clock in the morning. Um, but we don't, we had at first not known anything more specific than that until about a year later, they came forward to say that, um, they didn't even say, they didn't even say which of the, which of the two had a medical condition. I'm kind of assuming Peggy, just from the other things that I've read that she was more of a homebody from some past medical issues, but someone had a mechanical device implanted that recorded real time, right? So that think pacemaker, defibrillator, these kinds of things, they record real time so that you're, you know, your doctors and whomever can see when you're having these PVs or these arrhythmias in your heart, whatever. So let's just assume it was something like that. So because of that, there's an exact time. Authorities have an exact time of death, right? So that's a little, little gold mine in an investigation to be able to have that. So we do know exactly when they died. We don't know, but, but authorities do. And they've never, they've never um, specified that. They've kept a broader window of 1 to 4 a.m., right? So with them knowing exactly when this part, when they died, they do, well, they'll say they have some pretty adamant statements without giving more details. So they will say things like, uh, that they're, they're certain that the murders occurred within moments of the intruder or intruders getting there. So it wasn't like they all had dinner and they all hung out. And then this happened. Like if it was someone they knew in that sense, um, like I said, they know that this person or these people stayed there for hours there's actually some talk. There are a couple of detectives that believe that um, the murderers left and came back. Uh, at this point, you could be looking at closer to six o'clock in the morning um, because the reason this is important is because one of the two, they've not said whom, one of the two was stabbed. Um, both were beaten and one was stabbed, but the stabbing happened post-mortem. Uh, they actually think within a couple of hours of death is when it happened. So quite some time has gone on. You got to think they're in the house staging this other stuff or they leave and come back and then um, conduct this post-mortem stabbing. So then there's some thought of if this was intended more for one person or the other. With that said, Police also believe fully that they were both intended to die. Like that whoever picked to do this and chose to do this, if, if it wasn't random, which we, we kind of don't think it's random and we'll talk about why, but let's say it's either someone they knew or someone who was watching them. It's too easy to have them separate because they are separate all the time. So he goes, like I said, fishing, he goes to, um, all these other events and, and groupings and lunches and things like this. So you could easily ask him to go fishing after lunch. If you need to isolate bill, uh, if you wanted Peggy, she's home alone while he's out doing all of these things throughout the week. So it'd be too easy to find them separately. If you just were interested in murdering one, uh, authorities have no doubt in their mind that they both were intended to die. There could have been a concentration on one, but that postmortem stabbing, but that's kind of all we know about that. Um, do you have any questions until before I move on? No. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, so my, my, my son is here uh, waiting for me to get done with the podcast. And so I think he found the drum set uh, back oh, there. So if you hear well, drums, I can't hear it. I'm trying to text him to shut it the fuck off. But uh, no. um, so, I mean, you're saying that it, that it looked a little bit more personal. Well, that that if it potentially so 
but that I was saying that just basically they absolutely intended for both of them to die. This wasn't an accident that they stumbled upon both of them. Like they were too easy to find separately or to isolate one or the other that they didn't need to, you know, this, they were both meant to die. Um, so, uh, oh goodness, it's so bad. So we have, uh, the FBI profilers and the local police and detectives have called this, um, a one percenter. They'll say that this is, this case belongs in the 1% and these veteran detectives who have worked multiple cases will say, you know, this, this is a special one or it's different and it's set aside for a few reasons. And one of which is because, um, that the person didn't flee or the people didn't flee immediately. They did this and they're, they're hanging out. They're taking a lot of precious time. And they think that authorities believe that this is with the intention of someone finding them because they think that there is a specific reason for the day of the week, maybe even the time that this happened. Um, Bill had some ties to uh, the military. This was Memorial Day weekend. That's kind of a weaker theory, I think. But they do think that they made this happen at a time where that they would not be present for church and that someone would find them. Um, tactical dude says they felt comfortable in the house. Absolutely. So I mean, you're doing, I mean, uh, kind of almost sounds like it's going to be like one of these truckers to be honest with you. It does sound that way. So, so here's the thing. If it's a trucker, wouldn't it need to be a trucker who has either currently or at some point lived in that area? Right. Cause he's not going to drive his 18 wheeler. So the truckers that they dealt with are coming through on their routes. Um, he's not driving right, his so 18 wheeler in and out. They're just coming through. You know, I mean, did they have I know, anybody? Gonna... I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you know the answers to these or not, but like, I mean, did they have beef with anybody? Did they have like, I mean, I, you yeah. know, I worked in the mission field for a little while when I was like um, a young Ute, when I was a Ute, a youth. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I was pretty close, close to the church that I, that I joined and we went fed the homeless and stuff, man. And like some of those homeless people, man, they, they were kind of shitty. They were kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Be nothing for one of those homeless weirdos to, you know, stab well, you so, or something like that. Right. So, okay. Well, so with the trucker, okay. So with the theory behind the truckers, I'm not saying it wasn't one of the truckers and I think it easily could have been, but I do think it would be one that lived there because like I was saying, they live in a pretty quiet residential condo neighborhood in the back of the neighborhood. You're not going to, barrel an 18 wheeler through there or even even leading to the entrance of the place right like so you had to have had a personal car or known mm. someone who does like have other ties in the area um so there's that so here's what this is pretty interesting um so the couple has a nephew named steve stevenson so this all happened in may of 2011 well um Steve Stevenson was, had befriended or was dating, depending on what accounts you read, this woman named Lee Jennings. Okay. This was back around the same time that this murder took place. Bill and Peggy's nephew. He was kind of behind on loans, behind on rent, kind of couch surf for a while, tried to live with Lee. Uh, he stole 
or not stole, he asked for money from her and he continued to ask for more and more money from her. And she would give him some over time. She would kind of help him out with his bills and whatnot. Um, but suddenly he was able to pay off all of his debts and anything he was back owed was caught up. He was good to go. Um, and then no one saw Lee, no one could find her. And so when family and and people sent out for an alert for her, they try to find her. She's gone missing. They find her a week later. Uh, She is in her home. She had been beaten to death with an iron skillet and a pepper grinder. So Stephen Stevenson's, again, Bill and Peggy's nephew, his DNA was all over this place. He had actual blood um, on that skillet. Uh, it actually, what sealed the deal, I believe was in her safe where she had money and some notes, the money was gone, but his DNA was inside her safe. Um, so obviously we think we're looking into this, right. Uh, as in connection with Bill and Peggy, but Stephen has been, he has now, he's been charged with and convicted of the murder of Lee Jennings. He is in prison serving his sentence for murder there. But they've taken him off of this case. They say that they can't fully, you know, I think that Coy Cox is the the detective on Bill and Peggy's case. His words were that he can't, you know, there are certain things they can't fully rule out, but he's off the table. He doesn't believe for a moment that this guy is a suspect in the case. It's just a terrible, terrible coincidence that this kind of murder took place by a family member against someone else, but it's not him. Um, That was one of the theories. Another was the trucker. Um, so here was the newest update. So in June of last year, or excuse me, well now in June of 2021, uh, there was a bit of, I wouldn't say a break in the case, but you know, enough to at least get it talked about again, at least to put it back on the surface. Some, uh, evidently there had been a trucker that was known to have, uh, the morning of the murders gone to the trucker's chapel, the church that Bill started and had banged on the door and was yelling Bill's name, banging, excuse me, banging and yelling Bill's name and eventually left, has since moved out West. Well, at some point authorities have finally gotten tracked down and talked to different people and figured out the name of this guy who did this, who was, you know, just to kind of check and see, this is kind of an odd behavior. It hadn't happened before. Who is this guy? So they figure out his name. They eventually are finally able to track him down out West. So uh, again, this happened in 2011. So back in 2021, 10 years later, they find the guy and uh, ask for his DNA uh, for him to submit a sample. And they did say that he was very cooperative and very helpful. And so he gave them whatever they needed. They um, ran that sample. Now, what I, I didn't know earlier when I was looking into this, as uh, time has gone on, I've learned uh, in hearing what his daughter had to say is that this was a state-run DNA facility. So they put the information in from this trucker in the like Kentucky State uh, lab, and we are still awaiting results. So they don't they don't have that yet. That was again in I think June of 2021. They ran his. So again, he was very cooperative immediately. I, I'm not sure. I think if anything, it might be good just to rule him out. Um, Detective Cox has said from the get go that anything they, anything at all that they hear, you know, they're fully following up on, they want to rule anything out before they, um, 
before they discount it, he has traveled, he himself has traveled to, I think, 15 different states to talk to people and interview people and try to find some things out. He's he's actually said he's up for retirement soon and he refuses to retire until uh, until this case is is solved. It's this one's become very personal for him. Um, so it's a it's not a cold case for him. It's still very much. It's very a hot case. So we will not be laying this case to bed. We love Ghostbed. They've been a loyal sponsor since day one, and everyone raves about them. They have super comfortable mattresses that last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And they're made in the good old USA. 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 Every mattress has that 20-year warranty. You can try them out for 101 nights. Not 98, not 99, but 101. If you don't like them, you can easily send them back. No hard feelings, but you will. One of our favorite parts about Ghostbed is that each mattress has that cooling technology in it so that if you get hot, like we do here in these North Carolina summers, you can stay cool. Stay hard while staying cool. That's my motto. Ghostbed also offers bundles so that you can get everything you need. You don't have to really think about it. Just choose from their four mattresses and pick your bundle. So whether you just need a mattress and a frame or you want it all, I want it all. I want it all. And I want it no. No. Like their cooling pillows and their sheets, you can get the best bang for your buck. Right now, Ghostbed is offering a flash sale. 35% off Ghostbed bundles. So it's a MLK Junior weekend, baby. 35% off. Get a mattress and adjustable base. If you use that promo code Wolfpack, ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Or 30% off everything if you use the promo code Wolfpack at ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. $35 a month, zero down, 0% financing. If you've got Sarah Kelch credit, ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Speaking of Ghostbed and speaking of truckers, one of your fans who happens to be a trucker bought you a Ghostbed pillow this week. Gift package. It's pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool, right? Bill was known. um, So Peggy's wonderful. Like I said, she was just a little bit more of a homebody with some of her health conditions lately. So um, no one had anything but wonderful things. to. I mean, she would get out to church and go do her things. But um, a lot more is to be said about Bill because he was running. He was more of a little philanthropist in the, you know, in the community there and, and kind of knew everyone. Um, so while we talk about them being so generous and kind and uh, philanthropic and spiritual and all of these things, Don't let that be confused with naive. They were not naive. Uh, Bill was actually more than a few people said that he was known to uh, not be, he wouldn't flash cash around. He really only used a debit or credit card. If someone asked for money, he would help them. He might get some money and give it to them or more likely would take them somewhere to shop for them to get them the food or clothing that they needed. Uh, They did not discuss where they lived privately. So he, it's not like all these truckers just had, you know, I'm not saying they couldn't have figured it out, but it wasn't because Bill and Peggy were inviting um, strangers over for dinner. They weren't. They actually kind of were very careful about their home and keeping that closed off to to these people. So it wasn't that, you know, they were naive and, and became victims because of something like that. Now, they did, um, one of the things, one of the thoughts behind with the investigation is that we talked about the nephew, Steven Stevens or Steve Stevenson. We talked about, um, uh, the trucker idea, which they do have that. We're still waiting on that DNA to be run. 
uh, because that we do know that there was DNA at the scene. I'm not sure that I said that at the beginning. There was DNA found at the scene. They've not told us of what type, but it was there. And if I recall, it was considered complicated DNA. So it wasn't suitable for phenotyping or genetic testing in that kind of way. So it's not like you're going to look at it and like uh, if you think of your ancestry or, uh, you know, uh, 23andMe type things, it's not going to show you those kinds of links, it's not going to show you a pattern in, uh, in height or these, you know, hair color or whatever. It's not suitable for all of those things. Complicated DNA can also be de- described as uh, more than one person's. So person. So again, again, they've not yet said, uh, they've never ruled out the fact that it could be more than one person who did this. In fact, it almost feels like in some of the things I've read that they might be even, uh, maybe even leaning toward a couple of people. Uh, so because of the way that things were staged and at the scene, uh, for a little while, they were a little concerned about either a ritualistic type murder or that people staged it to look like it was ritualistic. Uh, they did, there's a, um, they found like, you know, people in the Wiccan community there, whatever, like they talked to different people like that, uh, specifically just ask questions and they've kind of ruled out the idea that that was the thing they think it was. Uh, they do think it was probably someone who knew them and they do, uh, again, think that there might be some reasoning behind the time and the, the time that it took place. Uh, I've seen in the chats, a couple people have said things like they entertained, maybe they were having someone over to dinner cause they're so kind and maybe it was someone who was not mentally well and wound up getting themselves killed, you know, maybe, but again, keep in mind, authorities have said from day one and we don't know exactly why, but they have said, most certainly that they think that the killings occurred upon someone entering the home. Like not that they had spent time with them first. Okay. And, and, and also that's like just I because just said, the, that's because the evidence off the pacemaker. Well, the evidence off the pacemaker or I, I said pacemaker, that's just one example of a mechanical device that would keep time. Right. So let's just say pacemaker, but I'm not sure exactly what they've not told us what it was. Um, well, that shows us exactly when they died. But I would assume that maybe, I don't know. I don't know what other, I can't speculate as to why they know, but they seem fairly certain that it happened pretty quickly upon um, the intruders getting in. Now, here's the thing too. Do you remember how I said that they have to buzz to get in these condos? So someone buzzed to get in at least, you know, close to one o'clock in the morning. So I would assume that that's also somebody that we know, right? You're not letting someone in that you don't know at one o'clock in the morning. Right. The buzzer system. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if you're 74 and your wife's 74 and it's the the middle of the night. Right. They found the nephew's blood on the firing pan. Okay. Of the, I think you responded to chats at that time. They found his no, blood on the frying pan of the woman that he did kill. He was charged and conv- right. he was convicted and charged with the murder you. of another woman around the same time, which was crazy so, coincidence. I mean, if, if their nephew is fucking killing people, I think he'd be my number one suspect. Well, they've ruled him out on this oh. and they have his DNA. Oh. And they have so the DNA at friends? the scene of- he just, they are all just bludgeoning people. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's confusing. It's sad. 
Like why? Why? It's got to be related to the church, though. You know what I mean? Like if they're in a condo and it's got to be church related. It's got to be the church related. Listen, so Detective Coy Cox's number, I'll put it on Instagram tomorrow when I do a post about this. His number is 859. This is, I think, him personally, actually. 859-334-8496. Again, that's 859. Coxing somebody right now? Is that even a, are we, are we breaking the law? No, this is the number he wants out for people. This is the detective's oh. number. Gotcha. 859-334-8496. So... He has said he's even gotten out there to say um, so much as even recently, like, hey, look, he's like, I don't care what you have to say, say it. If you think you have anything, right? And we hear this all the time. Like, you may think that what, you know, this little tidbit is not important. And he's like, hey, let us decide that. I would much rather you give right. me that information and me throw it away than you hang on to it, right? So he said, look, he's even encouraging people to um, just use a use a burner phone. He said, use a burner phone, call me, throw it away. I don't care. I just, um, you know, any little bit would be great. So anyway, super sad. And it's just, it's just wild to have been staged and, and look the way it does. Uh, I don't know. And like I said, pillars in the community, I think, uh, over 1500 people enough came that to a trucker funeral. might do it. I'm going with trucker mm-hmm. on this one. I'm going with trucker on this one. I'm going with my gut. My gut says. It's a trucker. That's not a far stretch. Yeah. No, I mean, it easily could be. Yeah, they say never trust a hoe, never trust a trucker or state trooper or Marine. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. So that's what I got. That's it. But you guys. A wild uh, story. What do you think? I mean, what is your theory? You got, I mean, obviously you have one. What's your uh, gut tell you? I think it easily could be a trucker. I think that. I think it was someone who's been in their home before. Cause I just don't think that they would have buzzed someone in at 1am because we did. I think if we hadn't specifically heard that they were not naive, it wasn't that they were just older and sweet and kind and would give and let anyone in their home. They didn't, they didn't tell people where they live so that he wouldn't have bill wouldn't have buzzed someone in at 1am unless it's someone that, that he was familiar with and felt comfortable enough. So I do think it's someone that has been in there before. Yeah, but you could trick somebody too. You know what I mean? I give it, you know. Uh, I was trying to read that comment. The login data seems like it could be used nefariously. No, MM, if I'm taking your comment correctly, you said, oh, let me go up. You said, you said, well, it can be there to maintain a cardiac rhythm. I'm assuming you mean um, the time keeping of a device, but logging data seems like it could be used nefariously. Well, I don't, this isn't, first of all, it's electronically logged consistently. Uh, no different than like closed circuit TVs, like your cameras at a gas station or whatever, right? Like you're, you're on camera, you're, you are recorded through, uh, stoplight cams, like whatever, all the time, right? With times and dates and things that affect you. So, or that you could be implicated for right so this it's not that someone's sitting here logging things on them it's just electronically recorded so the minute it stops because you're dead now we have that information which is a wonderful piece of information in a murder obviously right if i'm taking your comment if i'm understanding what you said correctly but yeah i do i do think it's someone that they knew or at least were familiar with 
Yeah. Bizarro land. Sad. That's why I love true crime, man, because it always leaves you with like a little bit of hmm, you know, makes you makes you wonder. And that's you know, you gotta, Let me tell you gotta you. be careful. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm done. No, I mean it's just like those four chicks in Idaho. You know, it's like do you think they went to bed thinking it's hours later that somebody was gonna come in and just bl- stab them to death? Like, do you think Peggy and then went to bed thinking that they're gonna wake up and get bludgeoned to death? I mean. Damn, man, they probably just went to bed just like you guys are about to go to bed tonight. That's true. So on a lighter note, I when I was thinking about doing cases, and I still want to do this one day, but I was going to do um, like a like a stupid – do you remember like stupid criminals, stupid crimes yeah. uh, stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted yeah. to do – yeah, I didn't feel like making a list though, so I didn't do it. But there was one amazing story. I'm not sure what the city or state is, but in you guys might have heard of it, but it happened a couple of years ago at a Walmart. The cashier staged an armed robbery with her boyfriend. So he came in and they had it all set up and he took the money from her. I think it was like $2,300, $2,400. He took the money from her and this whole, uh, you know, Tony award-winning drama filled scene i'm sure and then they eventually they used that money to buy engagement rings at that walmart and he proposed <laughs> oh man and that's all there is to it that's why we didn't do that on the show tonight but i thought it was a great story i feel oh, like yeah, that's heartwarming you, you talked about dumb criminals and somebody wrote hunter biden <laughs> oh, that's fair <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. touche he's a criminal and he is pretty mm-hmm. fucking stupid so uh oh my goodness and i can say that because it's, it's not a democrat or republican thing right like that's just a no it's someone who's done illegal things including like a lots, lot of drugs and lots. other illegal that's it for tonight guys i hope you all have a, it was good a great night show and- it's a great yeah. show i love night shift i love a good I, I i love it when you bring out these unsolved mysteries but they marked things too it's just so odd i don't know i keep thinking about that like the, i mean that's so odd that it's probably and to spend at least to spend at least two hours after they died either just in the house or leaving and coming back for that post-mortem stab wound I, it's so bizarre all right guys until next time <laughs> guns up oh giddy up good night y'all